the voice of God. And I just to sometimes it's good to look in the rearview mirror, hey, the side mirror, see what's behind. Sometimes it's good just to go back through or over what you've been looking at, just as a refresher. And we've been seeing that God wants to start by speaking to us personally. That's where relationship starts with our God, that He wants to speak to us and wants to be in communication with us, wants an intimate dialogue, us to him, him to us. And so part of the Christian walk is not just coming and sitting and and hearing from other people, it's you connecting with God yourself and having intimacy with God and hearing his voice and, and being guided and instructed and receiving revelation so that you're an instrument in the hand of God and so that God can mold you and shape you into his likeness individually. We are all representatives of Jesus Christ. We all are mirrors of him, hopefully, in ever-changing degrees. We are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. So we're all in a state of transformation. But if you can't hear God's voice, you'll never be transformed. You'll never know what God wants you to do. You'll never know what he's saying to you. So it's fundamental to Christian walk, to a, to a healthy, dynamic relationship with Jesus that you can hear his voice. Jesus said, I don't do anything else but what I hear my Father telling me to do. That's the basis of relationship with God. We've got to be able to hear his voice. That's where it starts. And we saw that God can speak to us through all sorts of ways, through creation, through dreams, through visions, through prophetic words. There are countless ways that God can speak, and I don't think we should put restrictions on that because God can even use donkeys. So he can use us, hey? Because we're much smarter than donkeys, hopefully. But you get the point. It starts with personal relationship with God. If we can hear God's voice, God can then flow through us and use us to flow into the life of a body. So God speaks corporately through us, that we bring all those individual representatives of Jesus together into a family, into a mosaic, into a body, the body of Christ. That's so important that that what is represented individually is then represented corporately. So the truth and the life and the abundant life and all the victory and the authority that I have individually is then manifest corporately. And we have the blessing of coming together with all our different passions and gifts and abilities and God blends them all together so that Jesus can point to the church and say, see that victory in Tabitha's life? That victory is also in Mark's life and it's in Jim's life and it's in David's life. See my people? see my blessings, see my authority. It's all worked out through community. So yes, Christianity starts off as an individual relationship with God. We come through salvation in Christ alone. But then that's mirrored in a family. And that family is joined together through the common bond of Jesus Christ. And you bring your gifts and I bring my gifts and God blends them all together. And corporately, we can stand stronger. We are not just a family. We're a hospital where other people who are wounded and hurt can come in and find acceptance and love and they can be nurtured to be Christ-like. But then we're also an army. We're making a stand corporately against the enemy and his schemes and what he wants to do in our nation and in the nations of the world. So we hear God's voice corporately so that this church has a specific vision given by God to do certain things. That is not the same as the church down the road because God will speak to them and give them things that they must do. So God wants to work in the life of this church 
to speak not just through me, but through every one of you. That's the philosophy of ministry of this church, that yes, there is a leadership. And yes, the leadership has a responsibility to hear from God, but it's not exclusive. It means that there's an onus of responsibility on all of us to have attentive ears to God, because God might want to speak through Darren today. God might give Darren a, a word for this church, and he needs to be willing and open and ready to come and share. And so if we have a body dynamic, that means that you coming to church is not a futile exercise where you just sit in a pew. You become a, a co-participant in, in the life of ministry. I think we need to get to the point where we get rid of the chairs and we sit in a circle on the floor and we're looking at one another instead of one another's heads because that's not really family. When you have family meetings at home, you don't put chairs in rows, you know, and dad sits at the front and then mom and then the kids. And, you know, it's, it, it, it doesn't breed the type of community that God wants because God wants intimacy and he wants us to be the priesthood of all believers where we all are ministering to one another. And we saw that that starts here in the church, but, but we don't want to corral that in and make that only for us because then we become a holy huddle. And it's all about making ourselves feel better and we can come and receive instead of coming with an attitude of servanthood. Really what God has poured into our lives is to give away to the world. You know, the gifts of the Spirit are great for the church, but they're so much more magnified in the world because the world needs wisdom. The world needs healing. The world needs a touch from God. And if we can take what we have here and multiply it out into the world, then it's not just my responsibility to be a minister of God. It's our corporate responsibility. So each one of us shares in that. It's beautiful. It's reciprocal. God is equally calling you as he's calling me or the person next to you. And so we're all standing on the threshold of being ministers of God. So if you work in a bank, when you put your foot inside the door of that bank, you take the kingdom of God with you because the king reigns in your heart and the king's authority and his power has been vested in you. So you're his representative. Whether you're a fencing contractor, it doesn't matter the context. It's what God has said about you that's important. And he's called you to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which means God can use you mightily. It's just a question of whether you're willing. Because if we consistently hear God's voice and we're willing to obey, obey God will call us to mission. Because that's God's heart. From the moment that God called Abraham, Abraham, I'm calling you out of all the peoples of the earth because I'm going to make you into a great nation and you are going to be the father of many nations. And God sent an arrow through time and spread mission out to all the nations of the world. God's heart is mission. You cannot get away from it. From the first page of scripture to the last, it's mission. And God is calling us all to mission in our own families, in our own communities, in our own workplaces, in this nation, this nation more than many nations on the earth, needs missionaries. We really need to rise up. Our nation is going down the gurgler because we're allowing things to happen. We're not rising up and saying, no, that's not God's standard. It's not God's truth. We need to fight for our nation and we need to fight for the nations of the world. And so the principle is that we've been blessed. We've been incredibly blessed. 
But that blessing is to be given away. To share what you've received with other people. Otherwise, it's incredibly selfish, isn't it? For me to stand here and say, thank you, God, that you're my Abba Father, that you love me, that you redeem me, that you've blessed me, and yet I keep that to myself. Somehow that's sick. It really is. It's, it's selfish in the utmost because what Jesus has done in me is not just for me alone. It's, it's the privilege and honour to give that away to others. There's people hungry out there to hear the gospel. Maybe they want to see it before they hear it in our culture because they've had their door banged on so many times by pre people that really don't have the right motives. But we need to, to, to be the gospel and to share the gospel and have the courage to do that. So if our relationship with God is centered primarily on what we can receive, then we become consumers instead of ministers of the gospel. I hope when you come here each Sunday morning that you're exhausted, that you're, that you're at the end of your tether because you've given yourself away. And I hope the church on a Sunday morning is a time where we just get re-energized and we renew our focus and remind ourselves of why we do this. It's for the glory of Jesus Christ. It's for the spread of the gospel. We recharge the tanks. We pat each other on the back. We say, well done, good and faithful servant. And get out there again. You know, it's just quarter time in the football match. There's another three quarters to come. And that's what church should be about. It should be an encouragement. Should be a place of stirring one another up, reminding one another that when we've hit a brick wall, it's okay. God will pick us up. Pray for each other, get each other back in the game, and getting people right in the cold face of ministry because God wants us there, He wants to use us mightily. So I asked you, the, asked you the question a few weeks ago are we ready and willing to go? Because it's okay to have a great relationship with God and have great quiet times in the morning and, and that be the end of your relationship. There's a lot of, that's a lot of Christian life for a lot of people. But it's not the completeness of God's design. It's to be part of this body and to be an active part in the body. Whatever God's wired you up to do, do it. And do it for the benefit of this body so that we get the blessing of your gifts and your talents and your abilities. But then as a church, we need to be looking outward. Otherwise, we'll implode. Otherwise, all the politics will rise up. Otherwise, we will start fighting about, oh, I like this song better than that song, or I want this instead of that. And we've all been in churches where that's become the ethos of the church, where it becomes critical and it becomes competitive. And that makes me sick to my stomach. It really does. Because the church is not about us. It's about going out into the world. We've got to turn that around and make sure we do that very intentionally. So I'm asking you, are your lives truly on the altar of sacrifice? It's a hard question. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. When you sacrifice something and you burn it up, you don't get anything back. There's no residue left. So if you're going to put your life on the altar for Jesus, then he's got lordship over your life. If he tells you to sell your business and go overseas, you've got no choice. You've got to go. You're surrendering your rights. He can send you anywhere he wants, anytime, anyhow. And we've got to say, yes, Lord, I'm willing and I'm ready. And so I guess that asks the question, who are we intentionally reaching out to? In our workplace, in our families, we need to have people that we're praying for. 
We're praying them into the kingdom. So I want to reinforce today the priesthood of all believers. That is so fundamental in the life of the church. It really is. I want you to understand that you have my permission to be a minister in any context God calls you to be. I want to validate that in your life. I want to reinforce that, that this church is not about a select few people who have all the gifts and all the talents and all the power and all the authority. That's a lie. We are a body that shares that authority. We have different parts to play, yes, but no one gift is better than another gift. There's an order of gifts, first apostles, second prophets, yes, but that doesn't make the apostle better. He's just the starter, the initiator, and all the gifts have to flow and be evident to be the full complement of the gifts. You've been watching the Paralympics and you've seen the people without the legs or without the arms. They're not a full complement of a body. And we're not a full complement of a body if people are dormant in their gifts or they're inactive in their gifts. So we need to have an incubator culture where we encourage people to discover their giftedness, to have a go at their giftedness. And if they make a mistake, it's okay. They get something wrong. We'll dust them off. We'll pat them on the back and say, go again, learn. But we want to be the priesthood of all believers. We want to equip and train and release people. So we want a spirit-led agenda, not a man-led agenda. We want to be open to what the Holy Spirit leads us to do and be obedient to that. That all make sense? So that's all looking in the rearview mirror. That's the stuff that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. But you may notice that when we talk about hearing from God, most of the time, hearing from God manifests itself into some sort of verbal ministry or some sort of verbal overflow. So when we talk about ministry, we're talking about testifying. That's speaking something out. We're talking about sharing what God is doing in our life. We're verbalizing. We talk about praying. It's verbal again. Talk about interceding. So much of ministry, when you look at it, has to do with the words of our mouth coming out has to do with correction, has to do with worship. It's all about our mouth and praising God. So the natural overflow from hearing God is that what God shares with me, I share with you, and you share with the world in some way, shape, or form. So the vast majority of ministry involves speech or words. But when it comes to using our mouths, we need to recognize that our tongues can be very dangerous instruments. Weapons of mass destruction. Really, they can be. And we've all been on the receiving end of sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Biggest lie in the world. Hey, words hurt. Okay? So the power that we have with our tongue is incredible. I don't think we give enough recognition and enough kudos to the fact that when we proclaim something out of our mouth, things happen whether for life or for death. You know, the life and death is in the power of the tongue. What comes out of a man's mouth proceeds from his heart. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can get a great forest on fire. And the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, 
this person's religion is worthless. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. It is so important that we understand that when we speak, we can speak life or we can speak death. Really important that we give the utmost recognition to what is coming out of our mouth is so critical in the context of ministry. Because if someone's bound up in demonic power and we come along, how are we going to loose that person from that bondage? We're not physically going to untie them, are we? We're not going to dance around them and do a chance. We're going to speak words of authority into that situation. It's the power of the word in Jesus' name that will break the bondage. So these words have incredible power, yeah? Incredible power. And you all know what it's like to be on the receiving end of gossip or, you know, and how belittled that made you feel and how inside you your spirit was crushed. But isn't that exactly the opposite, that when we're ministering to people that have been bruised and shattered and broken, the power of these words as they come into that person's ear and settle in their spirit can bring them alive again. So the words that we have have incredible power. But you've got to believe in the words that you're speaking. You've got to believe in the process that if Shannon comes along and he prays something over some person, those words have incredible power. I sometimes think we get a little bit, what's the word, timid about proclaiming truth, proclaiming things over people's lives. When the children of Israel walked around the walls of Jericho, they didn't get sledgehammers and bash the wall down. They spoke out the words. They shouted and the words, walls came down. It's a biblical principle of how, how powerful and strong those words can be. I mean, when God created he didn't get his hands and create. He spoke. And he's still speaking today when he said, let there be light. All those years ago, that light is still there because God said, let there be light. And there'll be light until he says, stop. And that sort of authority has been invested into you and I. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Didn't get calipers and put them on him. Didn't get him a pair of crutches and said, experiment. Words of power in Jesus' name made all that difference. When Jesus was in the boat and the storm was raging, be still. Be still. Two words. With just one word, God can heal us. That's how powerful words are. We need to believe that. Lazarus, come forth. Three little words. Brought a man back to life. You don't think words are powerful? <laughs> you know, I could stand someone here this morning and with my mouth, and I'm pretty good with words, I've got a, a very flowery vocabulary. I could make someone into mincemeat with the words I could use. And I used to be like that as a person. I used to make myself feel better by making other people feel little. Sad to think that that was your way of getting acceptance. Now I hope it's the other way around because I want to speak edification and affirmation and words of truth into people's lives so that I build them up. 
There's some sort of statistic that I remember reading about for every positive word a child receives, they receive something like 25 to 30 negative words. That's what the ledge is like. And it's a little bit like that in Christian circles too. We need to learn to be better at ministering life into other people's lives, blessing them with our mouths and realizing that it has incredible power. But this is what I really want to focus in on this morning. This is a passage of scripture that you will know fairly well. And it's a little bit odd in some ways. Jesus was walking along and he saw a fig tree that wasn't bearing fruit and he cursed it. And then a few days later, the disciples were walking past and they noticed the fig tree had withered and died because Jesus had said die, whatever he spoke to it. And then, the, then this conversation came up. Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now, I'm not sure what the context of that situation was, but it seems to me that there must have been a mountain somewhere. And Jesus was using that as an illustration and said, look, guys, you can speak to that mountain if you have the faith and say, be rooted up and cast into the sea. Now, I've never seen that happen before. But what Jesus was trying to teach us was that there's a principle in our life that if we proclaim and we believe, things will happen that are miraculous. But we need to believe what we're speaking. I want to ask you this morning, if you were to describe a mountain in someone's life, you'd really be talking about an obstacle or a struggle or a hang-up that they have in their life, right? I believe what Jesus was trying to teach the disciples was that there's a kingdom principle here, that for us to be great ministers of God, we also need to be great ministers over our own lives. That ministry starts here. It's very easy for me to go and pray for Tabitha if she's in a difficult situation and say, Lord, do a miracle for her and believe it. It's much harder to pray for yourself when you're struggling and say, I'm going to speak to that mountain. Get out of my life. That drug addiction, that gambling addiction, whatever it is, if we can demonstrate that we have God's authority in our life, in our own context here in my heart, where doubt can reign supreme, if I can demonstrate that I, I can have victory here, how much more victory will I be able to believe for in other people's lives? Do you understand the principle? It's a, it's a bit ironic if I'm a great minister to everybody else and yet my life over here is really messed up. And I think Jesus was trying to teach them that it starts with us individually. It's very easy when you're struggling to have someone come and pray for you. But you know something? That won't change a lot unless you believe that the change is going to happen. And what's the greatest way to believe that the change is going to happen? Verbalize it. You know, have you ever had someone pray for you and while they're praying for you, you're just thinking, no, this isn't going to change anything. This, no, 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 no. I want to encourage us that we should make those people pray for themselves and stand with them in that prayer and get them to verbalize what they want to see happen because there's power in the spoken word. A lot of deliverance ministry that we did in Fiji, 
wasn't about us coming along as the big white hope and praying prayers over people and the demons fleeing. It was getting the girls and the people we were ministering in to take authority over their own lives and speak to those demonic strongholds and say, get out of my life. Because if they don't want to let it go, it's not going to go. But if they can get to the point in their life of faith in God that God will release when they stand in authority and take authority over that thing, man, you should have seen those demons go. Why? Because they understood the principle of victory and authority starts in our hearts. Yes, we want to be great ministers for God, but, but if we're not in control of our own lives, if we're not seeing victory in our own lives, then it doesn't level out for me that we're going to be great ministers for God. Does that make sense? So if someone's disease-ridden this morning, sitting here in the front row, how are they going to get healed? Jesus used to come along and say, what do you want me to do for you? Pretty obvious when you're covered in leprosy. Um, isn't it obvious, Jesus? But he wanted to hear them say, this is what I want. It's a biblical principle. And it starts here in our hearts that, that if we can encourage one another to take authority and victory, we'll stand so much stronger in God. Speak to your mountain. They won the victory over Satan because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Okay, the word of your testimony, what comes out of your mouth is incredibly powerful. And I want you to recognize that, that whatever you're struggling with in your life will go the moment that you rise up in faith and take authority over what you have authority in Jesus' name and deal with it. That's the biblical principle. It's not to come and be codependent on a leader or a group of people. It's to take authority yourself and stand strong in the spirit of the Lord. Then that way you're not always dependent on other people. You have victory in your own life. And if something comes up in your life that's a temptation, then speak to the temptation. No, be gone in Jesus' name. Oh, I better get Christina to pray for me. Christina, I'm struggling with temptation again. <laughs> Would you pray for me, please, that it will go away? Isn't that pathetic? Isn't that what we do? Instead of saying, God has given me authority. God has given you authority. Speak to your mountain. When a problem comes up, what do you do? Run to the next person to get them. No. Speak to the mountain. Whatever it is in your life that's holding you back, you hold the key to the victory in Jesus' name. Because that means we, we are so much more equipped to be the victorious ministers that God wants us to be. So this morning I want to ask you a question, and this is where you're going to get stretched. Okay? What's the thing that's holding you back in your life from really going on with God? You have to put a label on it this morning. Okay, it might be pride. It might be an addiction. It might be apathy. You just, you know, you feel apathy, not really fired up about God. What, what's the mountain in your life this morning? When John the Baptist started to minister for Jesus, he was the forerunner. and He said, every 
valleys shall be raised up and every mountain shall be made low. It's the same principle. Get your lives cleaned up so there's no obstacles to be a great minister for God. And rather than this morning you saying to your neighbor, my problem is apathy, would you pray for me? I want you to share with someone this morning what your problem is and let them listen to you take authority over that thing. That's a twist. But there's greater victory in that. Because what you're doing as you say, Father, I want to come before you this morning because I know that I'm struggling with being half-hearted for you. What a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Okay? So it's okay to recognize that you're apathetic, but you're saying, Lord, I recognize that that condition is not honoring to you. It's, it's not fulfilling for me. And Lord, I want, to, I want to speak to that apathy this morning that it would die in Jesus' name, that it would be gone and that you, you understand the principle that I'm talking about. You're taking responsibility for the mountain in your life, but you're also taking responsibility that by faith in God, that thing can be erased and moved. You're tearing it down. The weapons that we have in God are not carnal. They're not man-made, but they're mighty in God for what? Tearing down strongholds and every vain imagination that sets itself up against God. The victory is in here. Because if we've had a life pattern of being susceptible to something and suddenly we stand up strong and say, no, you're not going to have that place in my life anymore. I'm not going to give you that victory anymore. Suddenly there's a fight on for your life. And if it's a demonic stronghold, it will go. And if it's apathy, you can stir up life in your own life through what you verbalize with your mouth. When we adopted Matthew, little Matthew in Fiji, he had this irritating little saying that he used to say all the time. He used to walk around going, what you say is what you are. What you say is what you are. But it's true. It was incredibly frustrating, I can tell you. <laughs> what you say is what you are. What you say is what you are. But there's great truth in that. It's not what I say I am. It's what God says that I am, that I'm proclaiming. I have no righteousness of my own, but I have the righteousness of God. That's my proclamation over my life. Without God, I can do nothing. But in Christ, I can do all things because he strengthens me. Do you hear what you're saying? You're not, you're not making up stuff about your own life. You're taking the word of God and what God has said is truth about you, God's truth, and you're proclaiming that as truth over your life. And that principle applies in terms of your self-esteem, in terms of the problems that you have. You can take authority. I'm fearful. God did not give me a spirit of fear, but of love and a sound mind. Do you understand? You're exchanging the weakness for a proclamation of victory and truth over your life, which will tear that thing down. It's not the power of positive thinking. Okay, It's not a new age exercise because it's not what I think about myself because then you'll just get proud. It's what God has declared over you. And if someone like God declares something over you, then there's no argument. It's signed, sealed, and delivered. If you're feeling rejected, I'm accepted in the beloved. Do you understand the principle? 
this morning is that we have a right. And there's nothing that makes me happier than to see someone who's been defeated and under Satan's feet suddenly get the knowledge and wisdom that they have authority and power and suddenly put their foot on Satan's head. And when that change happens, that's incredible because you know that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. How are you going to break those weapons down? With this little thing, because it has incredible power over your own life and over the life of other people. So last time we met, we had people in rows and you proclaimed things over people's lives, right? When you were speaking that out, did you really believe that? There was a conviction in your heart that those words that were saying were doing something in that person's life. Well, equally, when we say that about our own lives, when Jesus prayed in John 17, he prayed firstly for himself, then for the disciples, then for all the other believers. It's a biblical principle to pray for yourself and get your life in order and your life right so that you can stand and be a much greater minister for God. Because what you're speaking out into other people's lives has already happened in yours. You're whole, you're complete, you're victorious, you're ministering from a place of victory, not a place of defeat. Does that make sense? Cool. So are you willing to be stretched this morning? What I want you to do is find someone that you're comfortable with, sharing what your biggest struggle is with in your life. Okay? And I want you to pray to them, or to God, but with them. You understand? And then vice versa. And I know this is a bit stretching, but the reality is if we're going to equip and release and train people, then we've got to practice. We've got to be doers of the word, not just hearers. And that's why it's important that we have an incubator of ministry where we put these things into practice and encourage one another. And this should be a safe place. So if somebody shares something with you today, that's quite personal and private, then it stays with you too. That's the other side of ministry as a body. We need to have these tongues shut down sometimes. Okay? So can I encourage you this morning, if there's, if there's something that you've been struggling with, just share it with that person. But share it in the context of praying victoriously for yourself. Taking authority over that thing and saying, no, no more. Don't want to live with those lies in my head. Don't want to live with that belief system anymore. I want to have victory and authority over that. And I know this is stretching you, but if we don't stretch, then we don't grow. And if we don't grow, we'll be comfortable Christians. So how do you want to do this this morning? Do you want to go and pick the person yourself? Is that better? Someone that you're comfortable with? Why don't we just move the chairs back? Go and find someone that you're comfortable with.